Whether you're on an alien planet, the beaches of Dunkirk, or have just escaped a mental asylum, welcome to the Lollygaggers Podcast. In this episode, Jeff does a world tour of Detroit, Riverdale, and Waterdeep, while Justin reads Spider-Man and plans a two-month staycation. Both Lollygaggers then break down the kinda sorta zombie apocalypse movie Cargo, and the night with the Gentleman's Challenge. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show that's about all sorts of geek stuff like video games, comics, movies, etc. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. Hey, Justin, man. How are you yeah. doing? I'm always good. You know me. I'm living life mm-hmm. to the fullest. School's over, right? I know. I mean, forever. It's just done. Yeah. No one's ever um, learning anything ever again. Well, it's just like I've been waiting for this day for a very long time because mm-hmm. I'm tired of teaching math. And I can't wait sure. for the summer of, 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 of nothing, essentially. And it's going to be an exciting time for, for me. I don't have any plans mm-hmm. set forth, cool. so I'm sorry. I'm not coming to Arizona. I hate to break it to you. Um, I'm okay with that. Do you have plans of going anywhere or doing anything? Uh, well, I already went somewhere to help my sister out. But my wife just got a new job, so we can't really do, like, a trip or anything. So I'm just hung- I'm just hanging out. Like, I'm pretty deep right now into uh, prepping the next D&D campaign. We're just starting in July. So, like... That's kind of like the fun stuff I'm working with. That's about it. But no, I don't have any plans right now. Soon I need to be involved and be a talking head on like a stick. Here you I'm go. telling you, we need to do the two-player RPG thing that I got. That's like Total Recall. And we got to record it. Oh. I'm telling you, man. I'll talk, I'll talk off air about it some more. But I'm telling you, we do it. We record it. We release it. It'd be great. It'd be great. So, uh, so what are your summer plans, sir? This is actually the first topic I want to get into uh, this week. I've created a summer schedule for myself that is going to be revolutionary for me. Um, to me, it's, it's the, uh, I would equate it to a high school senior going into his first college summer about how excited all he is going to be for all these parties. But for me, it's about naps and movies. So I created okay. a schedule. Okay. Um, okay. First off, I made a list of movies. Uh, TV and video games that I need to accomplish by the time the summer's over. And if I'm able to accomplish this, this might be the most successful summer ever made. All right, so for movies, I got Dunkirk, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I got to watch Get Out, The Big Sick, War of the Planet of the Apes, Logan Lucky, Blade Runner, uh, 24-9. haven't seen that yet. Just came out on HBO. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, ooh. John Wick 2. Um, it comes at night, which is creepy, so I don't know how I'm going to be, be able to do with that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wind River's on Netflix. I had to finish watching the rest of the Disney movies with my wife. We set that in front of ourselves to do that. i got to finish watching the rest of the Marvel movies again. We just watched Doctor Strange last night, so we got four left. And I think Black Panther just came out on Just Disney, came so. on. You can, you can, I can rent it on Amazon Prime. Probably going to do that this so week. So that's, that's on the list, too. Uh, Hell or High Water, I know that's on Netflix. Haven't seen that. Sicario. Oh, that's a good movie. It's a couple years old. I want to rewatch the Mission Impossible movies because the new one's coming. Sicario, out. like, there's a sequel coming. To, yeah, there's that one too. Yeah. To Sicario. Yeah. I gotta watch that. Um, you gotta watch the first one. Right? Hateful Eight, okay. uh, Creed. Haven't seen that. Let me go to TV. All right. Okay. Gotta finish. Jeez. Lost in Space, Mindhunter, The Rain, Atlanta. Haven't watched Atlanta at all yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, have to catch up on Westworld. I want to watch The Terror since it sounds good. Um, I enjoy The Terror. I'm frustrated as all heck with the with Westworld right now though. But yeah. That's a, that's a yeah, I don't know. Um, it feels meandering. I gotta finish Barry. I'm gonna start Cobra Kai when I get that YouTube red. I'm gonna let you know what it is so you can watch it too. 
because okay. Cobra Kai TV show, why not? Uh, I gotta finish Legion, gotta finish Punisher, gotta watch Jessica Jones, Silicon mm. Valley, gotta catch up on mm. Rick and Morty. Haven't watched Mr. Robot yet, gotta watch that. Uh, Fargo, gotta watch that. Video games, okay. Fargo's great, yeah. Outlast 2, gotta finish, I'm very close to done. Alien Isolation. finished Outlast 2. <laughs> I'm not avoiding okay. it, shut up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Alien Isolation, Soma, these again, games are gonna make me poop my pants. Uh, mm-hmm. Grand Theft Auto Five. I wanna play it, I haven't played it yet. Doom mm-hmm. looks really fun. I haven't played it yet. Uh, Witcher Three, which I've been told it's pretty. You've much... never played Witcher Three? Nah, I've heard it's amazing though. You've never played Witcher? Oh my gosh, dude, that's good. that alone would take you the whole summer. Yeah, Are you kidding? There's so rough. much in that game. It's amazing. Divinity Two, we have to finish. I don't know if those games are your thing though. Yeah, yeah I, like I don't know them. if the Witcher Three is kind of your thing. I, like I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna play Bloodborne. Uh, Gabe's been dying for me to play that for a long time. So I'm gonna play oh, that's that. definitely not your thing. I'm going to die so much. You're uh, not going to even get through the, like, the tutorial area. I'll figure it out. Uh, okay. Fallout 4. I have to finish that. I'm very close to finishing that. Okay. Wolfenstein 2, I hear it's great. And there's a game called Undertale. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, I know what Undertale RPG. is. Yep. So that's the things I have to do. Now, the schedule, okay. day-to-day schedule. Okay? Ready for the day-to-day Jeez. schedule. Okay. I wrote down a day-to-day schedule Monday through Sunday of what I'm doing, okay? <laughs> Okay. So Monday through Thursday is the same thing every day, okay? So I'm just going to say this for Monday through Thursday. I wake up somewhere around like 7, right? Okay. I get my breakfast in, whatever. From 8 to 11, I have football workouts. So I'll go do that with the boys, 8 to 11. 11 to 1, that's lunch slash nap time. So I have, I'll get home from workouts, eat lunch, take nap. Every day uh-huh. from Monday to Thursday. Okay. I scheduled a nap every day for my life. All right? Scheduled a nap. From 1 to 6... I'll be streaming every day. This is my summer plans. So that's a five-hour stream okay. every day. That ain't bad. Right. Um, that's good. You then, take care of a lot of those games on your list. Sure. Yeah, that's what this whole plan. From six to bed, that's when I have TV, movies, and time with my wife. That's basically what that is, okay? And who knows when I go to bed? It's summertime. I'm rebel. All right? That's Monday through Thursday. Friday, I get to sleep in. There's no workouts on Friday. I can wake up whenever I want. When I wake up, TV, movies, spend time with the wife, right? One to six, stream, and then six to, to whenever I go to bed, that's date night with the wife. Every Friday, we're going out and do something. Like we went to a nice new restaurant this past weekend. So we're going to do that every Friday this summer. Was it called the McDonald's? <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's called McDowell's from okay. uh, Coming to America. Okay. Uh, Saturday is a repeat of Friday, except on the end of Saturday, Saturday nights, that's me and you time, pal. That's for me and you. Okay. Aww, I'm, I'm on the schedule. Yeah, that's for recording time. I feel honored. I feel honored. Sunday open. It could be anything. We could do mm-hmm. anything. Probably more TV. Probably movies. probably record because uh, yeah yeah that's what we because <laughs> that's what we've been doing for the past two weeks because no, I'm no, past uh, couple weeks. We've been flooded with garbage. So <laughs> that's my summer plans. It's going to be the coolest summer ever, um, and I'm super excited. If I can accomplish at least fifty percent of this, yeah, I've done something phenomenal. So. It's interesting, like I would make fun of you uh, for doing this, but I'm not going to uh, because my wife and I the past couple of years have engaged in like board game challenges every year uh, that kind of schedule out like how many games you're gonna play. So there's like the 10 by 10 challenge. And so you pick 10 board games from your from your collection and you play them 10 times over the course of the course of the year. Or um, there's like the 20 by five. You can, you can kind of mix the numbers up as much as you want. Like pick 20 games from your collection and play them all five times, something like that. So we've done that before. Uh, we, we usually do good for about the first half of the year. And then we sort of like peter out. 
but I uh, I wish you luck. How long do you have again? Like, when do you have to actually go back to work? Two months. I have like to August tenth okay. or whatever. So, okay. I'm, who knows? It's probably not going to happen. But if I can get fifty percent of this done, sure, I, I've accomplished something. And my sure. wife's like, my wife's one hundred percent behind it. She's like, as long as we can finish our Disney movies, we're good. I'm like, all right. I'm okay. all down for Disney movies. What you I'm to, I'm so glad you're excited. I can't wait to hear because I'm gonna hear all about it. I assume. On yeah, this is supplying stuff for the podcast. Yeah. It's applying for the podcast. Okay, so I don't have like a big schedule. There's, I do have this thing in my mind where I want to kind of go through my like over the summer. I want to start going through my Steam library of games that I've never played or finished, but I bought during oh, like summer I have sales. So many of those. It's and so I'm thinking of doing that, but the problem is I just hurt my hand again uh, a couple of years ago. You probably remember this, but I, I tore a or I ruptured a tendon in my in my wrist, and so like it's because you flipped your problems. vet, right? You were driving your yeah. It's actually because I was painting a bunch, but whatever. Anyway, the Same. point <laughs> the point was is like I'm I'm having a little bit of some some wrist trouble this past week, so I haven't really been able to play. I like it's it's totally putting a. Uh, some sort of damper in my Pillars of Eternity campaign, which is amazing, by the way. Uh, I hope to. I've heard that. really good things about it. Amazing, but I have instead bought a PS4 uh, game last week that, and that's a little bit easier on my wrist. So, it's called Detroit: Become Human, and it I've re- seen a re- lot of this on streams lately. Yeah, it reminds me a ton of the AMC show Humans, which is really good show actually, and just came back, I think, or just coming back this week. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. So it's uh, it's by Quantic Dream, uh, which is the name of the company. And it's the writer, sort of the director is David Cage, who's done a bunch of other things um, in the past. There's been games like, I know he did, I think he did like Beyond, was it Two Souls or something like that? I can't remember the exact name, but like he's done a couple of these games. And what it is, is it's sort of an interactive adventure game, story game, um, where I don't want to say like point and click, even though it's a little bit like point and click. It's more like move your joystick. Is it like have... heavy rain, pretty much? It's it's the same guy as heavy rain. So yeah, okay, it's heavy right. rain. And I loved heavy rain. And like I played heavy rain twice. The first time I played through, and I was like really good. And the second time I played through, and my job was just as best I could make the worst ending possible for every character, just for funsies. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna play through twice, but I am playing through once. So the basic premise of the game, and it just came out like two weeks ago, maybe. Um, the basic premise of the game is that you're in Detroit. It's in the future, not too long in the future. So like 21st century still, maybe 20 years or so. I think I can't remember the year, 2038, maybe something like that. And you play as three different characters and like there's different chapters and all of those characters are androids. Uh, they're kind of sentient robots, all right? So that's the whole whole premise. So there's Kara, that's one of them. She uh, she begins the, the game as kind of like a, a housekeeper for a fairly abusive owner. Um, and then there's Connor, who is a Android investigator. Like he kind of does jobs for, he kind of works with the company that sort of produces these Androids and he's looking down sentient Androids and trying to you know stop them from doing bad things. Like the very first mission that you do, this isn't really a spoiler because it's the first thing you do when you load in the game, is you go to, uh, to an apartment where an Android has kind of lost it and is, uh, is like, taking took like a little girl hostage and so you're you're the cop and then sort of the cop and then there's marcus who works for lance hendrickson uh who is a uh, if you know who lance hendrickson you, you you know that he's a he's bishop from the alien series but anyway and so those are the three oh, yeah, characters. i remember seeing him in like some stuff yeah 
Like, so, oh, Bishop's in a movie, a, a game by androids. It makes too much sense. I know. It's so weird. So, like, I don't want to, like, talk about the game, like, the story too much because, like, the, the whole game's a story. So, I don't really want to, like, spoil anything. But the basic mechanics, if you played Heavy Rain, it's the same basic principle. Like, it's the same kind of idea. Whereas you're, you start off, like, a specific chapter or a specific section and you're playing as a specific character. It's totally scripted. And you wander around this environment and you interact with it. And there's some quick time events where you have to hit, you know, your buttons in a certain amount of time. You converse with various characters. And when you converse with those characters, like you can respond usually in three or four different ways. And there's like a time limit on your choice. And if you don't answer by then, that's your choice, you know. So, uh, and all of that has consequences that sometimes will follow through that particular scene or you'll come back later on. So like, for instance... Like when I was playing on Kara, I found a specific way to escape, but I'm like, wait, I don't need to escape anything in this chapter. But then later on in the game, I was like, oh, okay. So yeah, now I see. So if, because I discovered something earlier in the game, it actually had a consequence or a use later on. I haven't finished the game yet. I'm maybe halfway through. It's it's interesting. Um, there's, there's one thing that kind of bugs me about it because like after each chapter, um, one of the things you... One of the things that gives you, like, when you're done with that particular section is it gives you, like, this flowchart that shows you all the different choices that you ha that were available, like, all the different ways that that particular scene could go. And I don't know if I like that. Part of me likes, I, I don't like being told, like, hey, you could have done these four other things if so you wanted to. So it kind of spoils it for you. In a way. Like, it doesn't tell me exactly what they are. It just says there's these other things you could have done. I'm not going to tell you what they are. And so for me, that kind of bugs me a little bit. I would rather just explore and find those things on my own. I feel like that would damage replayability so. in some way. Um, I think it. I think the intention is to enhance replayability. So it's just like if you know in this particular scene that there's like four or five other things that you could have done, then maybe you go back and you play that scene again and you see if you can discover what they are. Because it doesn't exactly tell you what those different choices are and what those different things can be, but... At the same time, I kind of just like a more, and I hate, I'm sorry to use this word, like a more organic play. Like, like this is just the story that's developing. Like, I don't really like the save scum anymore, um, which I used to do. Grant, I mean, like, admittedly, I used to do that a lot, but I don't really anymore. Now I'm just like, this is the choice I made. I'm living with it. Like, I'm just, whatever happens, if it's a horrible consequence, oh, well. Anyway, uh, I do recommend it. It's pretty fun. If you, it's not, it's not a game that requires a whole lot of uh, skill. It's really heavy narrative. Uh, and it's a lot of it's a lot of quick time events. Uh, my other gripe, I would say, is that within the first three or four starting scenes, two of those scenes had like your interaction with the environment was you cleaning up. So like Kara's first introduction Exciting. was was returning back to her house, and then she has to clean up, like vacuuming, throwing away cans and and pizza pizza boxes and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's just like, what am I doing? Why am why, why am I why am I playing a video game and doing chores that I don't normally want to do anyway? And then same with Marcus. I think his second chapter had you cleaning up a little bit as well. So I don't know. I feel like like definitely Connor, I think, has the most interesting scene so far because I think his stuff is more directly tied into like the like the, the police investigations and stuff like that. But I'm hoping Kara and Marcus will pick up. Uh, there's some interesting stuff that's going on with Marcus when it comes to like identity and trying to understand like androids as like servants and maybe slaves or entrapment. So I really, really like that so far. And I'm hoping Kara's kind of picks up as well. So, but uh, that's Detroit Become Human by David Cage in Quantum Dream or Quantic Dream. Uh, you can find it up on PS4 right now. What else you got, man? Well, uh, coming off from my list, I started to tackle a couple of those this week. The first okay. one I got over, uh, well, we watched Doctor Strange, but who cares? I've seen the movie a trillion times. 
I watched Dunkirk for the first time. Um, that is uh, directed by Christopher Nolan. Um, yes, it is. I think you like him. I'm not sure if you like him or not. He he might be my favorite director right uh, now. That's currently making movies. Might be. Uh, it's about World War II, and basically the story is it's about Frank Dunn and Michael Kirk and their wacky adventures. <laughs> that's uh, that's not no, accurate. It's, I don't it's think not, it's accurate. It's a buddy cop film. Uh, now nah, it's about uh. Uh, basically, the British Army was trying to evacuate Dunkirk, and they're stuck on the beach. And yeah. the only way they they don't have the navy there to pick them up yet, and they're like a week out or something like that. It's like a long ways away from them getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're being uh, occasionally peppered by uh, uh, aerial attacks from uh, Nazi airships, and um, their backs are towards uh, a city that's being besieged currently by Nazi invaders. Um, and basically, it's, it follows three groups. So the first group it follows is Tom Hardy and his ability to try and protect the people on the shore and yeah, in he's the a water. Pilot. Yeah, he's a yeah. pilot. Um, which, he's in a Christopher Nolan film where he's wearing a mask and can't understand him very well again. Which I right. think was interesting. With like kind of a little bit of a British accent. Yeah. And it's like, and like kind that, of breathing kind of heavy from time Is that Bane yeah, in that plane? He's Bane. Oh. That's Bane. Little yeah, known so, fact, Bane uh, was a World War II hero. He was, wear, he was wearing a bomber jacket in the movie, so it makes sense. So yeah. Um, so you have the Tom Hardy storyline, which is him basically defending in the air. You have these, I don't think they, I can't remember if they ever mentioned their names. There's this one particular storyline of two guys that are trying to stow away on a ship. One of them is French. You don't find that out until later. And one of them is uh, just a, a guy that just escaped from the city and is trying to get onto a boat as fast as possible. And he showed up late, so he'd be last in line. So he's trying to sneak his way on. And then the last storyline follows a small family um, from a nearby port city. That's because the way they got these soldiers off is basically a nearby city. All the citizens got in their boats and came over and picked them up rather than the navy coming and saving them so basically it's those three stories colliding and at first i was like this is kind of weird how it's kind of pacing and and, um the story was kind of weird but then once i realized what they were doing with those perspectives i'm like oh this is really good i liked how that like how kind of like twisted out in the end did you ever watch it by the way yeah i watched it uh i don't know around christmas time or so uh, but yeah, yeah it was really movie. good. It was um, like it was kind of interesting in how like how it did some interesting things. There's with sound. barely any, there's barely any dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a very quiet movie in terms of conversation, but a very loud movie when it comes to like everything else. Yeah, yeah. The the practical effects are amazing. Like and the, the music, way they, oh my God. the war scenes are fantastic. Like there's little if any special effects. I'm sure there is with the planes and stuff, but like. When they were showing like the perspectives of the dogfighting and stuff like that, it looked very real and very practical. Um, I liked all that. The bombing scenes were really good, and like how they did all the different uh, camera work. One of my one of the things that Nolan does really well is some camera work that he does. He did it in Inception with like the spinning room and everything in the Inception. And this one is kind of like a twist on that, where while a boat is sinking, the camera's stuck in the angle of the boat. And so it looks like it's upright, but it's sinking. But it's just such a weird shot. But it's so cool how it looks. He's got a really cool vision on how he does certain things. Um, mm-hmm. I think that uh, 
the way he works the timeline in the movie, because it takes a while for you to catch on, like, oh, okay, things are, this is not linear how he's presenting the story. And it's, it's really interesting how he presents it, and then it all kind of comes together at the end. I liked it a lot. Um, it's also just kind of, like, real depressing. A lot of people, a lot of people die what? in horrific ways. It's I mean, a good, it's, it's a good, it's a, it's a good story about like how these people came to save these soldiers in their time of need, even though they're just citizens and like, that's uplifting, but like guys yeah. getting crushed by boats and I just, hear you. I mean, like it's a war movie. Yeah. So it's like, rough. No, like war movies, I think to, to some degree are always depressing. And the fact that, you know, war exists, et cetera, et cetera. But I also think like the, the idea that this like it's i don't know it's kind of uplifting i think in some ways like, yeah i think that the so the, the people, whole citizen thing was like yeah that's because like citizen it thing, wasn't yeah. like one or two boats it was like a city worth of, of of personal crafts coming out and helping people which is a really cool story and i thought the tom hardy arc was really really cool um yet not very believable in my eyes because i don't think it would just be like that few of Nazis and that few of Americans. I think that's a little stre- stretched a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, still a great story. I don't though. pretend to be a World War II expert. Like, so I don't know either. I Maybe no that's idea. what it was. Yeah. Maybe it was six Nazis and three Americans. Man, that's what, I have no idea. But like, it was, a, it was an interesting story. And I thought he was really cool. And man, when, the, when the, the, the grounding stuff's coming out at the end, I was like, please, please, please come out. Because like, even though you barely even see the guy's face and barely hear him talk, you're like, that's a really cool character. I really like, I want him to survive and live on. You know, it's really cool story, but I liked it a lot. I suggest, I think it's probably the best like period war drama I've seen in a long time. There's a lot of big ones out there that are huge to me. Like saving Private Ryan. Since Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. But Saving Private Ryan was, I thought way more like character driven. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this this is lots of visuals and, and, um, story told without character development you know because you have no idea who any of these people are or where they come from what they are all you know about is the actions of what they're doing and it's really interesting it's a different type of feel but uh it was it was a it was a good film and like you said the sound the way he works the sound the beginning of the movie i thought my sound wasn't on on my 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 tv i know right yeah yeah did i turn this this is broken but it was, it was really good, though. So. And then you turn it up, and then the music comes in, and you're like, like oh, okay. my eardrums are done. Oh. Yeah, they're gone. Anyways, that's Dunkirk. It came out like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen like World War II stuff, check it out. I thought it was really, really good. Cool. But yeah. Cool. All right. So uh, in a very similar vein, uh, I watched Riverdale 2, this uh, season 2, this past week. Uh, it came up on Netflix. And when it came up how on is Netflix. That, how is that a similar vein? I don't Because it, it's awesome. Like, I mean, uh, yeah. Because okay. it's awesome. And yeah. So anyway, uh, so like it was Monday, I think it was Monday morning. I was like, huh, what am I going to do this week? And then I checked Netflix and it's like Riverdale, new episodes. I'm like, well, there goes my week. Like, you that's, sent me a text message it, and I'm like, what did I do this, man? <laughs> oh, I know. God. This is your fault, man. You you brought this on. So I, I spent the entire week last week uh, going through 22 episodes. Uh, I think it was 22 episodes of Riverdale season two because season one was only like i don't know like 12 or something and season you find two, out who his like, mother is yet have they revealed his mother yet they revealed that in season one so yeah it's it's molly ringwald i thought you would love that I'm like oh look at that yeah i'm uh, that's fine i don't know i was never a big me- molly ringwald fan like i i rooted for ali sheedy in breakfast club that's yeah, i mean who that's wouldn't i went 
so anyway, uh, Riverdale season two. So like, there's a little bit of a story behind this because like, uh, when we started the podcast, uh, we started doing the gentlemen's challenges, and one of the first gentlemen's challenges that Justin gave me when we were kind of messing around was like, oh, you should watch Riverdale, the CW show, and I'm like, okay. So I watched it, and Justin like watched the first thirty seconds and then quit. Uh, and then he gave me like a quiz on it and like none of his it quiz hurt questions. Brain. Yeah. It hurt his brain. I watched it and I absolutely loved it. Like, and, uh, cause it's, listen, I'll say this about Riverdale. It's trash. Like it's total trash, but it's <laughs> good trash. You know, it's like, it's like, you know how people get like those Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts type coffee and there's all sorts of whipped cream and super decadent and you're like, that stuff's going to kill me and like it's really, really bad for me but gosh, I really want it. That's what kind of a what way to go. Is. Okay, so like, I don't care. I'm spoiling crap like crazy, at least from season one. I won't spoil too much from season two but so season one ended with such dramatic fashion with Luke Perry who is, uh, who is Archie's father, okay, getting shot inside Pop's Diner. And oh it was just like, gosh. what? And, they, and you didn't know he, he could die. I'm like, Luke Perry? Like, wait, no, you can't kill Luke Perry. Like, that's crazy. Uh, and then, so season two picks up, you know, with that. And so the, so that even though Luke Perry's character doesn't actually die, it's touch and go for a while. But it, it sets up what's like the big overarching, one of the big overarching storylines for the entire season, which is uh, the Black Hood. There's a freaking serial killer in Riverdale. Oh my god. It was amazing. Like all season 1 was about what happened to Jason Blossom who is like this rich uh red-haired teenage boy from Riverdale High who kind of went missing and then eventually they found his body and it had a, and like he was murdered and how it happened. So it's like this overarching mystery and I loved it. Like it was just it just hung over the entire season. And so I'm like, well how can they top that? And then Did I'm like, solved oh. Oh, serial killer. Yeah, we, we know. I'm not going to ruin that. Okay, I have to watch it to find out. As you're saying. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not going to ruin who the Black Hood, because uh, you do find out by the end of the season who the Black Hood is, but it gets pretty crazy. Like, there is some dumb, dumb twists and turns. Also, like, uh, Veronica's dad, uh, Hiram Lodge, or Hiram Lodge, he, uh, he gets out of prison, and he shows up in Riverdale, and he is a gangster. Like, he is a straight-up, like, old-school mobster. It's kind of insulting the way in which they depict, uh, you know, Italian-American stereotypes, but whatever. We're used uh, to it by now. Yeah, exactly. So, like, there's a little bit of that going on, even though he himself is not, like, a, of, of that. I don't think he is. I don't know. It's really hard to place them. I know they're, they're Hispanic, but, like, and they're from New York. But, uh, but anyway, like, that's another big storyline because he's got plans for Riverdale and then, like, some of the people don't want. And then the other big storyline is, like, the fact that, uh, South, was it Southdale? Sodale? I don't know. I can't remember. But like the other high, the other high school, which is like the high school where all like the like the biker gang goes to, which are the uh, the serpents. Which is uh, Jughead is a part of that, and his father is the leader of it. Skeet Ulrich, he's the leader of that. He he actually gets out of jail, and so like that's another storyline that's going on. Like because they start merging the high schools, and everyone's like, "What?" Because they're shutting down the bad high school, and everyone's like, "Why are they shutting down the bad high school?" And then Hiram Lodge is like buying up all this property, and like uh, on the south side of, of, of Riverdale, and everyone's like, "Why is he buying up all these properties? What is he gonna do? What's gonna happen to Riverdale?" Right? And it's about the soul of Riverdale, right? Like, like is it gonna be the wholesome, like whitewashed version of suburban America, or is it gonna be something terrible? So there's all sorts of these horribly ridiculous storylines. But my favorite, by far, is the Black Hood. 
it's just like this overarching serial killer all sorts of people you know a couple of people get killed a couple of people get almost killed archie takes it really really hard because his father is was the first attempted victim of the black hood right oh, he was no. the first one right and it happened at the end of season one because everyone was just like well maybe that was here in lodge that was trying to take him out because of like business issues but no it ends up that luke perry was part of the whole black hood scheme like that's how they twisted it and then they're like uh they're trying to figure out so he starts of course investigating it these like you know 16 year old kids are doing this heavy investigation or whatever and like dealing with a serial killer which is the most ridiculous thing ever but who cares like who cares and at one point this is the best part so archie decides with his football friends that they're going to form the red circle okay which is like some kind of neighborhood watch that they're like some like aggressive neighborhood watch to like protect people walk people home keep an eye out for the black hood and so he films a video that's sending a message out to the black hood it's like one one v one me bro he does that kind of thing three sixties. Except, <laughs> except it's not just a one v one because his whole football team is standing behind them uh, as he's making this video he's the only one who doesn't have a red mask on and all of the football team with the exception of him are shirtless it's amazing it's amazing what like, shirtless <laughs> You know, one whole team is shirtless, what? and there's Archie talking to the camera, saying, "I'm coming to get you, Black Hood. One v one me. We're gonna we're gonna take you down." And like, it looks like a Chippendales advert. I don't know what the heck's <laughs> going on. It was so ridiculous. So then, like, man, I'll tell you, there's also all sorts of problems when it comes to the love, you know, the love lives of these young teenagers because because uh, Jughead and 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 Betty have uh, they they became a couple, and then uh, Archie and Veronica. Wait a, a minute, Jughead. I what, totally that doesn't make any sense. I don't care. It's supposed I to be totally, Archie and Betty. No, I ship Archie and Veronica hard. Are you kidding? So you're like, Team no. Veronica. I am totally Team Veronica. Oh no, what is? I this? don't know. I don't know what the combo is. I, am I? I think I'm Varchie. Is that? Vargie? I don't know if that's a thing. Veronica. I don't All I know is that there definitely is Bughead. Team Veronica, Team <laughs> Betty. I know that's definitely. I'm, I'm Team Veronica for sure. Okay. Uh, it got a little dicey there in the beginning, but uh, as as is the case, things happen. But then the season ends. Oh, you think everything's okay? Everything's back to normal. Oh, we can all go on this, and then twist. But I'm not going to say what that twist is because oh. I don't want to. Oh. Anyway season two riverdale fantastic if you're not a close-minded judgmental jerk like justin is <laughs> and you can actually be willing to open your mind and watch it and accept it for the trash that it is it is the most delicious kind of trash i hope they go 10 seasons i do i hope they just go 10 i, I hope it's this the, is new, the supernatural. new supernatural oh my gosh jinx yes yes exactly so anyway that was my uh my week i uh i just i went ahead and watched riverdale like all week it was amazing i watched like my six God. episodes a day it was it was just a wonderful thing uh what about you buddy last thing for me is this week is the release of spider-man number 800 um i had to get it so usually i do like a weekly pool thing but i thought you know come up in the next couple weeks i might just do like a a, a like a a weekly like update on one comic like next week i think is batman number 50 where Batman's supposed to be getting married. Are they getting to, married? Yeah, they're getting yeah, married. Yeah, Catwoman. Cat so I'm, I'm gonna, yeah. I want to read that. So like, if there's ever like a big issue, I'll probably just talk about I'm it. I'm totally this. a Batman Catwoman but, uh, shipper. Yeah, uh, but like, they're also teasing a lot that this is supposed to be the return of Joker and Barbara stuff like Gordon. that. That's okay. I also ship Batman and Joker. I wouldn't mind a little bit of that. You know, maybe that's why they've been fighting. Yeah, there's a there's time. a lot of yeah, fan theories about that. Anyways, um, so this is written by Dan Slot. Dan Slot's been writing Spider-Man for probably about five years now. 
Um, it's drawn by Giuseppe uh, Kamanakoli, uh, Mike Hawthorne, Nick Bradshaw, and Stuart Eminen. And because it's a number 800, it's like a $10 single comic. It's got like um, 50 pages in it. It's double the size of a normal comic. Plus, you know, they're always going to try and squeeze a little bit more money out of you when it's like a big number issue or whatever. Like Superman 1000 came out. Uh, it was Action Comics 1000 came out like um, three weeks ago. And they, that was a, a big chunk of change, too. So basically, this puts you in the what's been happening with Spider-Man lately. About five, six years ago, when Dan Slott took over, they reset Spider-Man. And when they did that, they split up the marriage between him and MJ. Harry Osborn came back to life. Norman Osborn came back to life. Um, Parker became somewhat of like a, I guess, like a Tony Stark type, globetrotting playboy type of thing. And I stopped reading the comics because it was terrible. Um, I just... That sounds even more awful than Spider-Man normally is. I couldn't take it. It was just so bad. I'm like, this isn't Peter Parker. This sucks. So I did hear this thing was happening, so I want to get number 800. So I bought my first Spider-Man comic I bought in like maybe two, three years. And basically, the idea is, you know the Green Goblin, right? You know, Norman Osborn. Yeah. He mm-hmm. somehow gets in contact with the Carnage symbiote. I don't know how he got it. I don't know what happens. Anyways, it merges with him and becomes the Red Goblin. So basically, oh. he's the Green Goblin with Carnage powers. How original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How very Christmassy. So yeah. there's been a lot of symbiote stuff going on because guess what movie's coming out in a couple months? I think it's called Venom. Yeah, and guess yeah. who's got the black symbiote back? Uh, Eddie Brock's got it back. Uh, yeah, Eddie Brock. Eddie Brock hasn't like had Tom the black symbiote. Like, no, yeah. Eddie Brock hasn't had the symbiote in like 20 years almost. Like Maybe since early 2000s, he hasn't had the symbiote. Because he was dying from cancer. The symbiote was killing him with radiation. Sure. It went to the Scorpion, who's Matt Gargan. And after Matt Gargan, it went to a guy named Flash Thompson. Flash Thompson was, was Parker's high school bully. Well, they used it as a weapon because Flash Thompson went to the military, became a colonel, lost his legs. And so they used him as an experiment to merge the symbiote with him so he'll be a special agent so he can now walk again because it gives him feet and stuff. And uh, that whole story went on. He then loses symbiote and gets another symbiote called anti-venom. Don't ask me about that. It's ridiculous. So then he becomes anti-venom agent of... Yeah, so so does that. Anyways, there's three symbiotes running around. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson reveals to the Green Goblin who uh, Spider-Man is. The reason why J. Jonah Jameson knows is because his father married Pete's uh, aunt, Aunt May, and somehow he found out. So when uh, Norman finally finds out about this, he goes for his family, tries to take out Aunt May, uh, MJ. They've been estranged from each other for a while, but this is the thing where it's like, oh, my God, maybe they're getting back together type of thing. To fight back, Parker puts on the black, the black suit. The, he goes to see Eddie. Eddie hands him the suit. So now he's got the symbiote back on him, which he hasn't had the symbiote on him since the early 90s or, like, 80s. So, like, there's a lot of stuff in this thing that it's, like, a lot of harken back stolen stuff, like... Flash Thompson, J. Jonah Jameson. At some point, J. Jonah Jameson uses the Spider Slayer armor from like the early 90s when he first, or early 70s, when he first started fighting like Spider-Man. You had Eddie Brock as Venom, who has been Venom for years. You had Carnage, you had Green Goblin. You had uh, Harry Osborn, where he gets on the uh, Green Goblin glider and stuff like that. Anyways, it's a thing where it hit enough of the nostalgia in me and it was written really well where I think I might start picking them up again. It's a really good comic, um, good storyline. Um, it makes you hope for the marriage to happen again. 
Dan Slott's done writing it soon, which I'm looking forward to him not writing it anymore because he's lost his mind and it's really boring, but he really went back to the old Spidey roots with this, like him being actually Peter and not some playboy uh, globe hopper, globe trotter type of guy. And uh, also Dr. Octopus is in it, but uh, he's a younger, sleeker Dr. Octopus. So like, it's interesting stuff, but... Unless they ever bring the marriage back, I don't see myself get diving back in this again for a while because they nullified the MJ uh, Peter marriage a while back and it made me angry and most of America angry. So it broke gonna, your heart. Yeah, uh, it just annoys me. But uh, drawing is really good. They have different sections. So basically, there's different chapters. Each chapter had a different art. Uh, all the artists were fantastic. Um, the final artists where they're talking about, like, because Flash dies, Flash Thompson dies in the comic book. And um, when at his funeral, it's old style, looks like 60s type of era comic look. And it's mm. really good. And it's really some, got some really good heartfelt moments. Um, it's a really sad ending because, like, Flash Thompson's always been around. And he was, he was his high school bully and stuff. But they end up being, like, the head of the Spider-Man fan club. And he was a, a war hero. And then he was, like, a secret agent to help out America for a long time. And he was, he was a really great guy. And then... He ends up giving his life to save MJ, um, Aunt May, and all of the other Spidey buddies. So it's a really sad ending, but it's, it's really, really good. And, like, Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson is friends with him now, but, you know, now J. Jonah Jameson feels like the failure because he did all these things that lead to the Red Goblin trying to kill everybody. So it's interesting. Um, I'll, I'll stick with it for a little bit. If it doesn't get any better, I'll probably be done again, but... That's always been my biggest thing is I've always read all the Amazing Spider-Mans no matter what, but Dan Slott has ruined the character so much that I just don't care anymore. Like, he was, he was a high school teacher, right? Okay. Now he owns an industry that spans the world and he has a billion dollars. It's just like, I can't relate Isn't to that, that at all. that something you could do? Like, you're a high school teacher and, I don't know, once, no, this, this, once this podcast picks up, we're going to be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... Anyways, that's Spider-Man number 800 by Dan Slott. Uh, if you're into the Spider-Man stuff and you're like the old nostalgia stuff, it's actually pretty decent. So pick it up. You got anything else? Yeah, I got one last thing here. Uh, so there's some big news in the D&D universe uh, going on. So this, this weekend, the weekend that, well, we just finished up. So this is like the weekend of the 2nd, the 3rd, the 4th of June. Uh, there was what's called the Stream of Many Eyes, which is uh, kind of a, a three-day extravaganza of on i guess i'd say i'd say live streaming on twitch of uh various uh kind of one-shot sessions with a bunch of D personalities these are some of the designers uh it's like mike morals chris perkins those folks and then other people who are known for streaming like critical role for instance like with matt mercer and whatnot uh and so a lot of those folks got together and they did this like kind of three-day promotional celebration and that was to to in, in part to kind of promote the new uh, setting books that were announced. Uh, so they did this like last year uh, when they were announcing Tomb of Annihilation. And so they're doing it this year. So the new books that are coming out, they're not out yet, but they just announced them. Um, they are set in the kind of uh, the, the, the city of Waterdeep. Uh, so if you know anything about, you know, you know Faerun and Dungeons and Dragons, that setting, uh, you, you know a little bit about Waterdeep, but it doesn't matter if you don't. Uh, so there's two books that they're talking about. So one of them is called Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and the other is Waterdeep Dungeons of the Mad Mage. So 
Uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist uh, is primarily an urban adventure. Um, so with that, so by urban that means it's like it takes place within the city itself. Uh, whereas, a, like I think the, the kind of the stereotypical, the traditional Dungeons and Dragons sort of theme or idea is that you're off in, in you know in some you know dank dark dungeon or you're off in the wild and you're fighting all sorts of crazy monsters. Uh, Dragon Heist is actually going to be set specifically within a city. Uh, it's going to cover levels one to five. It's going to give you all sorts of different things that you can do. Um, and so like when you have an urban setting, it sort of changes the way players function a little bit, which is one of the things that they're talking about they wanted to explore. Um, so I was watching a few interviews uh, that they did about it where they start calling it kind of like a fish out of water story, how characters so often used to these dungeon crawls or wilderness encounters. And, you know, and they specifically talk about like, how does a barbarian actually work in a investigation within a city? Like, cause you're actually in a city. You can't go around murder hoboing everybody. You actually have to have serious consequences to your actions. There's gotta be a legal system and you have to be careful of what you're doing. Uh, so the basic the basic premise of this uh, this setting book is the idea or this campaign book is that um, players are trying to prevent a villain from acquiring a massive treasure hoard that is somewhere in Waterdeep. Uh, now the really interesting thing, uh, and this is something new that they're doing with this book, is that they they have options of which villain that you choose, and the DM gets to choose exactly which DM or excuse me which villain they're actually going to face. And so there's a bunch of different options. And depending upon who the DM chooses or when it's being set seasonally, you might face a different villain and that's going to offer different experiences. Uh, and they're not necessarily designing these villains in such a way that players are expected to like fight them in combat and overcome them in combat. In fact, it's probably not the smartest thing in the world to do because at level one to five, you're not particularly strong yet. Um, these are these are villains that are likely, if you just do a straight fight, are going to walk over the players. So the, it, it's all requiring the players then to kind of explore different ways of problem solving, which is which is kind of interesting. So uh, so it's that's Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Um, it's again, it's for one to five players. Now. One to five is not, I mean, that for, for us, like for the way my group plays, we would probably get to level five within about a month and a half or two uh, if we played every week. Uh, so we usually, every two to three weeks, there's usually a level up uh, depending on a couple different factors. So we would get through it pretty quickly. Um, and so we are gonna be starting up a D&D campaign soon and we are intending a deep campaign. So we're gonna go like way into like the 17, 18, 19, 20 area. And so, the next book that they previewed was Waterdeep Dungeons of the Mad Mage. This is an Undermountain book. Um, now, Undermountain is basically a really deep and like it's like the world's biggest dungeon. Uh, if you, you know, I know you're not entirely familiar with dungeon stuff or with uh, Dungeons and Dragons stuff, but Undermountain is basically the largest dungeon in Faerun, which is the name of the world, and it sits um, beneath uh, like this the yawning portal, like this big old hole in the middle of this inn, and it's um, the villain of this particular. Uh, this particular dungeon is Halister Blackcloak, which is uh, kind of a crazy, nutty, lunatic wizard who, for what reasons you don't necessarily know, is sort of drawing adventurers into this massive, absolute dungeon. And so this one actually goes from level 6 to 20. And so if you want, and I think this is kind of the intention, uh, is that you, you're you going to use both of these books. So you're going to, you know, if you wanted to, you can start your campaign, go 1 to 5 within Dragon Heist, where you're just doing a lot of city urban stuff. But after about level 5 or so, you're kind of maybe getting a little, you know, a little unsettled and want to do other things besides just walking up and down streets and going into various buildings. And so they have the massive dungeon crawl, and that's what this ends up being. 
Um, I'm a little bit more interested in the Dragon Heist one because I like the urban idea a little bit more than I like sitting in one singular dungeon. Even though the dungeon has multiple levels, each level is vastly different, has its own mechanics and flavor. There's all sorts of different people and monsters that you interact with, not always fighting. Sometimes you actually ally with different factions. Um, like there's the skull port is going to be in it as well, which is like a, another kind of subsection within the dungeon, like a little um, kind of a haven in a way. So those are the two things they just announced. It sounds really cool. I also read that they have more to announce later this year. Um, I heard uh, and read on some social media that they're also going to be announcing some new setting books, uh, which is going to be fascinating. I'm hoping really that one of them is Spelljammer, which is sort of like the sci-fi version of D&D, &D, uh, which is, or Planescape. Planescape would be awesome too, but you know, we'll see. Uh, so that's Waterdeep Dragon Heist, Waterdeep Dungeons of the Mad Mage. I should also mention that um, there are a bunch of interviews with Mike Merles and Kate Welch and Chris Perkins. These are all like lead designers on D&D 5th Edition. Um, and there's a bunch of little quick videos as well about like the different characters that are going to appear. And these are like well-known characters within you know, the D&D universe, so, like Manchun, Jarlaxle, Mirth the Moneylender, Xanathar, etc. And so all of those, they talk maybe four or five minute little interviews on D&D Beyond's YouTube channel. Uh, so you can kind of go there and get a bunch more information. Uh, I'm just kind of giving a quick overview. Uh, release dates for these things, uh, September 18th is the plan for Dragon Heist. And then November 13th, later this year, is the plan for Dungeons of the Mad Mage. Uh, each of those books, those are hardcover, by the way, and each of them are about 50 bucks MSRP. D&D um, Beyond, I think, is accepting pre-orders if you wanted to get digital versions of D&D Beyond if you use that system. Uh, but I'm pretty excited, especially for Dragon Heist. Uh, I definitely like the idea of uh, using kind of an urban setting, at least for a couple levels, to sort of shake things up, do something a little bit different. Uh, but I'll certainly take a look at both of these. If I don't necessarily play the actual adventures as they're written, which I normally don't, I definitely like to harvest a lot of little mini adventures from them and put them into kind of my own homebrew world, homebrew setting. So looking forward to that. Uh, two new Waterdeep books coming out later this year. So, uh, did, uh, you're all... sp speaking of this stuff, did Keith talk to you about his new character yet? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. We've been. God. I'm uh, I'm really proud of him. Uh, he ran for... it by us, and he also ran by his voices too. And it's just oh, he hasn't shared with me the voices yet. Oh boy, you're in for a treat. I, I am so proud of that that guy, man. Uh, he's getting into it. I love it. He did a voice for his current character in Starfinder. He like, I mean, I'm I'm super excited. Um, like I said, I've been, when I'm not watching Riverdale the past week or, you know, week or so, I've been like really hardcore prepping uh, the D&D &D campaign. Uh, our friend Long is actually going to do, he's going to GM a, a DM a one shot so I can actually play. It's just going to be like a one shot. Exciting. So, uh, so that's going to be interesting because none of them has ever expressed uh, interest in doing it. So. But anyway, that's some Dungeons Dragon news, and keep an eye out for uh, kind of the new information that they might be uh, previewing later this summer uh, about some of the new products in hopefully campaign setting books. Spelljammer, please, uh, that they're uh, that they're going to release. You would like Spelljammer, by the way. There's uh, so people called the Griff that are just space hippos. They're like these big old hippopotamuses. Oh yeah. It's awesome. I love them. And they're actually, I mean, they, there's some in the new book that just came out, um, which is Morden Kane's Tome of Foes, like, which has a bunch of new stuff in it. Uh, one of them, they actually have like some Spelljammer references. So myself and some other people are hoping that maybe that's a sign that Spelljammer might be one of the places they're going uh, with one of their next campaign setting books. So we shall see. Okay, so that's it for us in terms of uh, what we did this week. Uh, I think we're going to mosey on over and we're going to do a little breakdown.
It's the movie. Breakdown. Cargo is an Australian zombie apocalypse film developed in 2017 and recently added to Netflix. It's directed by Yolanda Ramke and Ben Howling, and it stars Martin Freeman, which most people know as Dr. Watson from Sherlock Holmes or Bilbo Baggins from the Hobbit movies. Now, unlike most zombie movies, uh, Cargo takes a fairly sobering look at the consequences of such a tragedy rather than relying on kind of gross out mechanics or cliche character dynamics. Now, the story largely follows uh, Martin Freeman's Andy, who is desperately trying to find a safe place for his infant daughter somewhere in the remnants of Australia. Uh, so for a while, this he found safety with his wife on a riverboat, but circumstances arise that force Andy and his wife to leave the water and look for allies on land. Now, all the while, we also have a secondary story that tracks Toomey, which is uh, who is an uh, Aboriginal girl, kind of preteenish uh, age, uh, who is trying to somehow bring her own father back from the zombie infection uh, that he now suffers. And as the movies progress, naturally these stories intertwine in different ways. New characters are introduced, some are friendly, some not so friendly. Uh, but we're going to do our best not to spoil the major plot points, but at, at some point we probably will go a little more spoilerly if we decide to do so. We'll definitely give you a warning. Uh, but that's Cargo uh, on Netflix. So Justin, what'd you think, man? I think it was fine. Um, it's very slow. Uh, it's basically two hours and 15 minutes long. and It's not that, but uh, okay. What was I thought it was 105 minute runtime. Oh, I read two it hours and 15 minutes. Hour and 45 yeah. minutes worth. Okay. Uh, so I don't know. I I think it just it's at the point for me where I, I am tired of zombies, and I think that's what is really I have I have zombie uh, fatigue. Fatigue, sure. Um, yeah. And this doesn't necessarily bring too much to the forefront that's new and interesting to me. Like, I disagree with you entirely. Uh, it's fine, but like, I think it's a great iteration on on the zombie. The zombie, like, it does not. Listen, man, there's no zombie of the week kill. Like, it doesn't gross you out. Yeah, I agree with that. All like this, this, this is like Walking Dead loves to do that whole BS of like, oh, it's not really the zombies that are the danger; it's the humans, which is stupid. No, it's the zombies. The zombies really are the danger. And this one, it's like they're not really focusing so much on the zombies. Like, it's not at all. Like, it's really not about that. And so, I kind of appreciate the fact that this was a zombie movie that really didn't focus much on the zombies. Uh, and so, I, I actually definitely in, enjoyed that aspect of it. So, uh, I definitely can see what you're saying about the pace. Um, it wasn't a fast, like it wasn't a story that moved really quickly. But I also don't really think it's an action movie. Um, so to me, yeah, it felt more so of either. a character. I drama, just think so. that like it's it's a drama. It's an emotional drama. It's it's For about sure. yeah. him being able to a father being able to ensure the survival of their child, and also exactly. having to go through the awful stuff he has to go through in the movie, and also realizing that people have fallen off the deep end or others have it worse off than him and stuff like that. And it's just like like I get it, but I guess I maybe I just wasn't in the in the right mindset for the movie, but I got I got the I got the left I or the not left for dead that's different uh, I Last got the Walking Dead feeling of it where it seemed like a factory of sadness at times you know where it's just like one depressing thing after another maybe it's, maybe I just wasn't in the right mindset to watch it maybe I wasn't. 
prepared this for that weird, type man. of thing. I actually thought it was kind of like like we talked about Dunkirk. I actually thought it was like considering the context of it, a fairly uplifting story, especially how it ends. Like I do, I think there's 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 great positivity within kind of this realm of really sad. Uh, give a really sad story but at the same time man it's a freaking apocalypse how is yeah. an apocalypse not going to be sad so like i think setting that aside like with with that context there like i still think it had it had a had some good lessons it had some good storylines like it had some there's purpose and meaning behind it in ways that like a lot of our other silly zombie shows and movies don't have so i mean i definitely got more of a last of us vibe like the yeah that's what station game too. Uh, than than Walking Dead. Like I, I didn't get so much Walking Dead because I think I think Walking Dead is just sort of like I don't know. I I it I I lost it. Like it just I lost it after like season four or five or something. Like that. Um, so that's interesting. Like I don't know. Like it. I get I get what you're saying about zombie fatigue. Like I totally get that. Um, and I'm kind of there as well. It's one of the reasons I stopped watching Walking Dead was because of zombie fatigue. But and I was certainly skeptical of the movie because I'm like I don't really want to deal with the same sort of generic zombie scares you know like i just don't want that but i thought there were some interesting interesting tweaks on the equation um i like the whole 48 hours so like in the in the actual movie it takes yeah, 48 hours for a person to turn into a zombie and there is like a government system set up um so they have out the, these little emergency packs and these emergency packs include instructions and what to look for and like there's all specific things including uh, a, a little tool that you can use to kill yourself uh, if you, it's going too far, um, there's like this weird uh, kind of pus or uh, kind of viscous fluid that starts emerging from someone's orifices when like it happens, and it's like they show it, but they don't show it in like a, a like a gratuitous way. Like it's shown in like kind of matter of factly, which I, again I largely appreciate. Like there wasn't any sort of cheesy, the kind of cheesy. Oh, I'm trapped by a zombie. How did I? Po- how did this possibly happen? They move so slow it was like, no, there's some fairly legitimate reasons why, like, like why certain people get, you know, contracted. Um, and then like some of the things that like certain people were doing, I can't remember the guy's name. I want to say his name was Martin, um, was one of the, one of the guys that he, uh, that Andy runs into. Um, and some of the things that he was doing, like he was sort of clinging to this notion that like society is going to come back. And so he's just collecting all sorts of stuff that he might consider valuable. And it's yeah, just like this weird, you, like, desperate uh, clinging. So harder. I kind of like that part. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I, I really like some of those aspects of it too. And then the other neat. But like, is any of that like, is any of that wholly original or any different than no i didn't like i thought it's an iteration though like i think it's 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 an iteration and it's a good one it's like a positive iteration on it like it's not um like like that it's just it's got some little tweak but one of the things i really like is like the aboriginal storyline like there's like this whole other society and i'm not like an expert on australian like socio culture stuff but like i thought it was really interesting how one of the you know one of the groups of people that was probably quote handling it the best was like this group of you know this aboriginal group and specifically the one that Toomey was part of and how like they're trying to navigate it as well and so i thought that was kind of a new thing like i haven't seen that anywhere and i think that there were some more interesting lessons about kind of race dynamics that were kind of popping up uh within that particular culture like it's different for us like i don't think we have a full handle of it but we're from the u.s i mean racism sort of like in our you know it's in our dna sadly but like I thought that was kind of interesting, 
uh, and so to me, that was a new angle like that, like this, and then seeing Andy and Toomey kind of like their storylines interweave eventually about midway through and how that actually works. So I, I, I don't know, like what, what was new about Dunkirk, you know, like what's new about any of these superhero movies? I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, think I think that every just, movie has to like completely reinvent the wheel. I think they just have to iterate it and kind of iterate on it and sort of tell an interesting story. So I think it's because this is such a played genre, you know, especially in the past decade or so, that in order to, I don't know, to razzle-dazzle me, in a way. It's not a movie that's looking to razzle-dazzle you. But, like, to to, to differentiate itself, it needs to be, I guess, just a little bit more inventive. Like, it was fine. I didn't have a problem with the movie. It didn't make me upset or angry, or I didn't think it was acted poorly. I thought Martin Freeman did a great job. I thought the whole supporting cast and crew did great. I thought the little girl was fantastic. Um, and, I, and I liked the way they did a lot of stuff. It's just to me, it's, in the end, it's just like, it's just a... To me, in the end, it's just another zombie movie. It's To me, it's not... Yeah. It's not anything that's... I think that's unfair. Like, I, I, I honestly think that's unfair. Because I, I do... I, I feel like if, if we're going to start like evaluating and judging movies based upon like the similarity they are to other elements in the genre, like like dude man like we're like how can like unless we're breaking new genres like we're opening up new genres like we're never going to have those things i think there's a familiarity to this movie sure but at the same time i think this this particular movie explores aspects of the apocalypse or aspects of like what happens in such a situation in ways that i mean i i know Shaun of the dead didn't do it you know even though i love it you know i know zombie land which is apparently getting a sequel didn't do it but i still enjoy it like it finds its own way to do it um I did. I so, did think the whole Aboriginal thing was really interesting. Where it's like those that people see to be subservient to them were the most prepared and the most yeah. capable of because yeah. mm-hmm. they fend for themselves and they know what they're supposed to do. And yeah, and, and even I, for some other characters, you know, you know, like white characters, like they're still kind of like even in this situation where most of the population is destroyed, you're still like not willing to to open up your mind and have like the human contact if that human contact is with, you know, an Aboriginal person. So like, I thought, you know, that was the, the, that, that particular, that, that particular prejudice really died hard in some people, you know, like that was, that was really interesting to me. So um, I don't know, like I, I actually like the movie. Um, I, I would put it pretty high up actually. I, I thought it was really interesting and it was sad, um, but also at the same time, hopeful in a way, which is, I like it when, when movies do that. I like it when movies kind of confuse my brain at the end, like in my emotional responses, like, I, like I'm like, oh, I should feel happy and sad right now. Like we, we mentioned Save It Private, Private Ryan earlier in the, in, in the episode when we were talking about Dunkirk, like that's another movie that like kind of confuses my emotional state at the end where i'm just like wait like they succeeded but at the same time they didn't you know in a way and so like i'm both happy and sad and i'm dealing with that and at the end of this one i was in that same position and like and it was a foregone conclusion like what part of this how how it was going to end like we knew like we knew from like 10 minutes into the movie like this is this is like this end up poorly it's going to end like this like but uh, they somehow managed to find a way to to find kind of a positive spin on it that I thought was really really interesting. Um, so I mean, I give kudos to them for like the complexity of that. Like that's that's really nice. 
So, I mean, I liked it. I liked it. I, I, I didn't go into it thinking of it. Okay. This is a, this is going to be an action movie. They're going to be running around from zombies. They don't run. I don't even think Martin Freeman like ever ran in the whole, maybe once. Like, and he didn't, I mean, he never even ran from zombies. Like there was never any of that. Dude. Like all of those, like all of those really cheesy, generic cliche zombie moments. Right. Um, that we are so used to never happen. Yeah, in they're this all movie. off camera. Like much. it's never there, you know? So like, I really appreciated not having to sit through that kind of crap. And I like that we were focusing on kind of the survival story. Like it's a survival story and that's really interesting. Like it didn't have to be zombies. It could have been aliens or, you know, it could have been disease. It could have been a lot of other things. So, um, I don't know. Like, I, I would definitely say that it's, it's, it's up there positive. in the Netflix films. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's, it's, it's in the, some, I think it's upper tier. Top top echelon of the Netflix Netflix films. I was like, it, there was the never a point. You broke down. It's my favorite. Like, yeah, there's never a point in this movie where I'm like, okay, what is this? Like, there was no, nothing. Oh, didn't, yeah, nothing yeah. made. No, there was never a point where something didn't make any sense. There wasn't like, was a all, Titan moment. Yeah, yeah. So there wasn't like a what? There wasn't a facility moment. You know, so it's just like, so I, I had to put this above pretty much all the other stuff we've watched. Like, like um, the ritual was great. Too, I I'd yeah, say I like the ritual more than two. this, but then they're completely different genres, right? They're com- different ideas, but I think yeah. production like and cultist weird god stuff and one yeah. zombie stuff. So, but I, I think I like the ritual a little bit more than this. Like this was fine. But I, I like the ritual a little bit better. But I would, if someone's in for a, a, a free will and romp comedy, I would definitely suggest this for somebody. Um, I'd say if you want to go home with a smile on your face, watch this. Uh, no, I would, I would, I would suggest this. I think it's, it's, it's what if Netflix keeps turning out stuff like this, we're good. If as long as they keep on going to this level, but like they keep on hiring bigger actors and getting bigger budgets. Like there's a movie that they're releasing here. I forget who's supposed to star. Keanu Reeves is supposed to be starring in some Netflix film. It's supposed to be like 150 million dollars or something like that. So like, they're spending a ton of money on it and stuff like that. So. If they keep going down this path of, of good actors and, and good stories, I think it'll be fine. But I would suggest this to someone else. Would you suggest it? Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I definitely would recommend it. I think it's an excellent movie. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely see it. If you're a person who is skeptical of zombie movies, uh, like don't go into this thinking, oh, it's a zombie movie, and then you'll be fine. Because it really doesn't – I don't think it really plays in the same – in the same sandbox that like your traditional zombie movies play in. Like this is, this is a different kind of one. This is character driven. It's more kind of emotional family drama that just so happens to have a backdrop of a zombie apocalypse. Like that's really all it is. So definitely highly recommended for me. All right. So, um, yeah. All right, cool. So with that done, uh, no major spoilers, uh, definitely go see it or definitely pop it up on your Netflix. I should say, uh, we are done with our breakdown for the week, and uh, I think we're going to talk about some uh, some Starfinder stuff some more. Yeah. Noise. Now it's time for a little role play. Wait, nope, nope. That's the wrong role play. All right, so uh, this week uh, I want to talk about puzzles uh, or how I uh, drive my my players insane. So my group, um, it's not that they don't like puzzles. It's just they get uh, they get frustrated by them. Uh, at the same time, it's really fun to throw kind of a puzzle situation uh, into the group and to see what happens and see them kind of like try to figure it out, try to test it, try to play with it, uh, the different things that they do. Sometimes they get mad at one another. It's really funny. Uh, so like 
so far in this Roblox corner, I'm still sort of trying to figure out exactly what I'm doing with it, but uh, the topic this week is puzzles. So let me give you a quick rundown first of how puzzles most recently came up in the game that I'm running. So I am running a Starfinder game by Paizo. Uh, it is a game that we started back in November. So we are in month seven. We're going to be ending. Uh, we're we're clear. We're very getting getting very close uh, to the end of the campaign. We probably have about three or four sessions left, depending upon some choices that they make. Uh, and then we were going to take a break and go over to D&D for a bit. So we're getting really, really close. And so in the game, um, for reasons uh, that kind of involve the basic story, they um, they were sent to a, a kind of distant planet, uh, unexplored um, in the vast. And it's a planet called Chaiki 5, where they were looking for this alien compound. Um, it's an ancient alien civilization, uh, hoping that they can somehow find something some kind of artifact that they can use to kind of bribe their way into this um into this kind of xeno archaeological uh, uh black market and so um they found that alien compound and so they were it's an alien compound by the name of like the elowatans it's just something i made up it's just my own kind of creation uh and so they're called the gem spinners and so the the kind of the theme of this particular dungeon or compound was that there were gems like everywhere just like gems and as far as the act everything was made out of gems and crystalline stuff uh, and so there's like like you know fist size head size chunks of diamonds and, and emeralds and all sorts of stuff all over the place uh now on the one hand that's great because they can pick it up and they can get some some money some credits but on the other hand like i wanted these things to actually be part of the theme of that particular dungeon in that particular area and i didn't really intend any major combat even though it was a possibility. Instead, I wanted them to actually try to figure out some puzzles. So they they track down the actual compound itself, and I give them a very simple task, a very simple puzzle that they had to figure out, just a basic color scheme. Uh, and so there's this really big compound with like a bunch of spires, like folded in spires, because in addition to like gems being one of the major themes, the other major theme was sort of a spiders or arachnids not really spiders because it's more like six-legged spiders but like uh, of arachnids because it's the idea of gem spinning arachnids like that was sort of the whole idea and so they had to kind of figure out how do they get inside the compound and so i tried to give like a very simple puzzle at the very start to just establish like okay these gems aren't just stuff for you to pick up as loot but they also need to be interacted with and you can use them to interact with various aspects of the actual environment and so on this platform there were all sorts of these little bowls and the idea was that if you put the right color gem in the right color bowl it would kind of trigger and open up open up the entrance into the actual compound they figured it out really quickly no problem i was feeling good they were feeling good then we go inside and we actually get to the harder puzzles because one of the things that that it was going to be is this is sort of a test um, without getting too heavily into the starfinder like lore that we're kind of playing with uh, there is one specific uh, deity within the starfinder universe called Elaritu, uh, who's after like the hidden truth and like there are apparently like six runes that uh, are associated with different uh, alien civilizations and if someone is able to acquire all of those runes in different ways then they might find some sort of power or transcendence or some sort of understanding and that's kind of part of the story that we're dealing with and so that's what they're hoping to find and so they're going through this test to see if they're worthy of kind of acquiring the the artifact much the way that in indiana jones movies you have to do all sorts of different puzzles and 
uh, or a Tomb Raider, you have to solve all this same kind of idea. Like this is this this wing of the of our adventure. I was calling uh, Alkari sobs in the Temple of Boom, or no, no, in the Planet of Boom. Excuse me. So I was like doing a bunch of Indiana jokes, Indiana Jones jokes. So, Justin, let me talk to you, and I want your input on this uh, okay. because after they entered the compound, they faced their first puzzle first real puzzle the one outside was really simple all i wanted to do was indicate like these gems you use them like they're usable and you have to figure out ways but they also represent things and each one of them has a different color and so the first room that we go into what i was trying to illustrate was that the gems are representative of something else and many of them are representative of elements so earth water fire wind etc and so in the first room, uh, they went and they did a fortitude save as they were like going through this like white light. And then a couple of them, you know, like were blinded and their eyes started burning. And so, uh, and so in the actual room itself, um, there were, there was like this, this pillar and at the top of which there was an eye, like just, just eye that was just sort of staring at them and it was burning. It was like on fire. And so I was, the whole idea I was trying to get was that they were supposed to be using like, you know, the gems in various ways. So if, if I show you like a room that's got no ways out, like the ways out are blocked and it's very clear, I've already established, like, you know, very clearly this is a puzzle, right? And you have to figure something out and you have a collection of all these different colored gems and you're looking at a pillar that's got an eye and it's on fire and a couple people within the group have gone blind and their eyes are burning what would you think you might have to do to solve some of the problems that you've been faced? I'm just like out of curiosity. I'd be like, give the red gems to those with their eyes that are burning. Be probably okay. step one. Do something, do something along those lines. Get those okay. red gems to those people whose eyes are burning. Why the red gems? Because it represents fire, right? And okay. if their eyes are burning, and that's what I would say. That's fascinating because that's the exact same thing that uh, that my one of my group members actually decided to do. Josh, he was just like, yeah, give them the red gems. And, uh, and, that, and meanwhile, like me, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of peculiar because I actually, the intention of the puzzle was for them to use the blue gems and, and oh, to reason, put it out. I see. Exactly. Right. And I so it, it was just a funny little twist, but like, and they figured it out. Like once they, once they couldn't, like they tried, like it was, it was amazing how long it took them on this one little puzzle when they figured, once they figured out like, oh, we got to use the gems and oh, they represent something like they like, that's where they got that representation thing. And they started trying to after after that all worked out they're like okay so blue is probably something more water elemental red is more fire elemental and they were definitely on board they just didn't necessarily see like the red to red or the blue to red so but eventually they th that was figured out and they we kind of move on um to the second one and so i started so a lot of a lot of the puzzles after that had to do with elemental stuff and so uh, some of them had to do with like combine you know comboing different um uh, different things and trying to figure out exactly what to do. And so in one room, um, I had like, uh, it was like all sand. And at the center was like this, like, like little, uh, this little statue that was headless, like it didn't have a head on it. And like the idea was, they noticed that outside when they put the gems inside of a little bowl, the gems actually mutated, they changed shape right in front of them, they became somewhat uh, malleable, and they just kind of like, became the shape that they needed the shape. And they totally figured out like, oh yeah, just go put a gem on top of the actual, uh, on, on top of the actual statue. So I'm like, yes, awesome, they got it. Cause they put the gem on top of the statue and they're like, this one's probably earth. They drop an earth statue, an earth gem right on top of it, worked out perfectly. I'm like, great, awesome. 
Then we go to another one, another room, and it was like all water. Everything on the ground was water. And so in the center of the room, there was a fish. And like it's like an empty vase of a fish. And they figured out like, oh, let's just start pouring water down, you know, down like kind of that empty fish vase. And they figured that out too. So like they really started to pick up on it and it was really exciting. And so like for me, uh, one of the things I, I like to do with puzzles is, I mean, I have like my own solution in mind. Like when I, when I put together what I, I think a puzzle should be, but one of the things I'm starting to learn or starting to, to be more open with is that I should be a little bit more open-minded with the solution, uh, that, and allow sometimes that the players actually can come up with more interesting solutions than I might have thought of, because there's five of them and there's one of me. And I, I you know, I, I don't really test any of these ideas on anybody prior to, you know, bring them to the table. So like, I don't really like revise them too much. It's just like, I think this is a good idea. I'm gonna throw it down. And I don't necessarily always see like every other little element. So um, for me, for puzzle making, like I've learned a few things. I've learned that there should be clues um, that try to indicate like what's, what are the ingredients in this particular puzzle? And so for me, it was gems, it was element, you know, it's elemental nature, trying to understand color coordination. And then knowing that there's one or two things within the room that very clearly need to be interacted with. It's just a question of figuring out exactly how do you interact with it, right? Um, I like to have consequence with puzzles. And so each time they tried to do certain things with their puzzle or they tried to like interact in a particular way, if they got it wrong, there was a consequence. And there's a consequence that very clearly illustrated to them that what they did was wrong. So for instance, in like one of the rooms, they were hit with a little bit of lightning and that was to let them know like, no, it's, it's not a room that has to do with fire. It has a room that has to do with like, you know, with air and stuff like that. Cause like you're getting hit by lightning. Right. So I like the consequence to kind of give a clue or a hint, but I also uh, like the idea of failing forward. So the, the notion that like, if they can't figure the puzzle out, I don't want them to just like bang their head against the wall for two hours. They're just doing the same puzzle over and over again. I want to be like, all right, they're not going to figure it out. Let's figure out a way for the puzzle or the trap to kind of trigger, and then let's fail it forward and find some other way to do it. Uh, and so that would be some of my su suggestions I have for puzzle. Now there's this one really interesting thing that kind of happened uh, that I'll mention and I'll, I'll stop talking. Uh, so they went through a bunch of different rooms um, and all of these rooms corresponded to one of the various colors of gems. Uh, now, when we talk about four elements, we, we know that then there is going to be, you know, a couple other colors of gems too, right? So this, it's not just like gems that are associated with specific elements, but they're also gems with other states of mind or states of being. And so like they went through like a room that was all about the concept of gravity. You know, that was one of the things that they looked at. So it's not just elementals, but eventually they came to a room after getting through all these puzzles, after actually dying <laughs> at one point and having to kind of reset uh, the test. Um, they came to a room in which a fight was going on between kind of this this big six-legged um, monochromatic spider um, that would occasionally change colors and the colors would be like the the, the different colored gems um, that they've interacted with throughout the throughout the actual dungeon and a bunch of cultists that are in dark cloaked robes now my my players knew that they were coming to a planet and that they were they were kind of competing with this other um cabal uh that was trying to acquire this artifact as well kind of like you know indiana jones always deals with nazis and stuff like that right and so they get into this room and it's it was fascinating because they immediately started fighting the spider like they never once like started 
uh, started fighting the the cultists, the, the people in the cloaks, and they just totally allied with the cultists because they're humanoid, right? And they just start spite fighting the spider. But the spider was like super powerful, and eventually, like the spider was just like, okay, it, it is like, okay, the fight's over because I'm just gonna you know wreck the floor with you, and let's just let's sort of talk. And like it was really sort of exploring how like why you know, like the, the spider started communicating with them like why did you immediately jump to like ally with these other people why did you not ally with us etc and so because that was sort of like the guardian it's like you know so it was sort of an interesting moment how that all worked out but uh it was a really interesting session um they got off that planet a week ago and they're currently planning uh like to to actually kidnap somebody uh because uh they've been they're being blackmailed into doing this kidnapping and they're trying to free some of their family members and some of their 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 employees and so they're kind of doing a crime to try to help whatever um but anyway it was uh, it was fun doing puzzles i really like doing puzzles i think it's a good way to sort of shake things up don't do them all the time i wouldn't i definitely wouldn't do them all the time but uh, every now and then having some puzzles would be a good idea so for me it's all about setting up an environment where the clues and triggers are clear where this signals to the to the players like yes this is a puzzle environment there is something here that you need to figure out right but also be open-minded with the solution because players might come up with something better and then, and I think most important, importantly, like don't just expect them to get it. They have to get it this one way. And for three or four hours, if they're continuing to fail, don't do that. Like after whatever timeline you think is acceptable, if it looks like they're not having fun or if it looks like they're getting frustrated, figure out a way for them to fail forward or or allow or be open minded about how that 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 puzzle is solved. So uh, that's my Starfinder my Starfinder talk, my little role play for this week. Puzzles, they're fun even if my players say they aren't. They're fun. And now, it's time for the gentleman's challenge. All right, so the gentleman's challenge is a little segment we do every week here on the Lollygaggers podcast where Justin and I assign the other some kind of activity, some sort of challenge that they need to meet for the next episode. Uh, sometimes these challenges involve us watching a TV show or a movie, reading a comic, playing a game, uh, and then and to ensure that we have completed our task on the next episode, uh, we quiz each other. Now, usually these challenges either A, involve us assigning the other something bad, something that's going to drive the other insane, or something really good, and we're looking to kind of broaden the other person's mind. So Justin's, for instance, he's assigned me, you know, a video game, Slay the Spire, and he's assigned me like a comic book uh, in terms of Kingdom Come to try to get me to play things or do things that I wouldn't normally do. And I've done the same with Justin with like Exit the Board Game or or Unlock. So uh, Justin's going to go ahead and start us off this week. And I should also preface that we spoil the heck out of everything uh, that we do challenges with. So this is not a spoiler-free zone. Uh, so go ahead, Justin. What did you have to do this week? Uh, this week I had the returned, but the French version was Les Revenants. Les Revenants. This is my two yeah. years of high school French come to. Come did to... you really take French in high school? Yeah, I don't remember any of it. I know Calculatrice's calculator. That's about it. Um, <laughs> I remember okay. nothing. It's created okay. by uh, Fabril Gorbet. Uh, Gobert. I'm going to. This is going to be real bad. Uh, the stars are Anne Concisioni, uh, Clotilde Hesme, and Frederic Pierrot. All, all, all French is is just you don't say the last consonant, pretty much. Is that what it is? is that you cut off half the word and do like huh at the end of it. Um, anyways, basically the story is a small mountain town, I'm assuming somewhere in France. 
uh, where yes, the town has a whole bunch of different, uh, you know, people that reside in it. And in this particular place, uh, out of nowhere, people are coming back from the dead and walking around town again. Um, a few key players in this is there was a twin sister who died in a bus wreck. Basically, got, it flew off the side of a cliff. And uh, she passed away like four or five years ago. And she came back. And her twin sister is actually one of the quiz questions. How long ago has it been since the bus crash? Yeah. Four years. Excellent. Good job. It was one for me. There you go. All right. Um, and then, so like the sister, she, she was like 13, 14. But now the older, the, her twin sister is now like 18. But when they come back, they're the same exact age they were when they passed away. So like the twin sister is way older than the one that basically seems to be resurrected. Um, there is a husband um, to be that passed away about 10 years ago. He uh, came back. He's still wearing his tux. Um, there's uh, an older, there's a woman who's a wife of an old man, but it looks like she died maybe 30 years ago or something because she does not look old at all. She looks like she's in her 40s maybe. And he okay. looks like he's in his 70s or something. Um, a little kid comes back who is the creepiest little kid I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, and they do they really creep up the scale factor with him. Um, yes, he's very creepy. Uh, and then there's a serial killer that comes back to life. So it's not like good people come back. Like uh, Lots of people come back. Even a butterfly comes back, too. And a wolf. So it's not just like... And a ginger. Like, that's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not just like... <laughs> it's, not, it's not like they're picking like, specific people. It's just all different things are coming back to life. Um, so basically, the story... I just watched the first two episodes. Um, it's about the family's seeing their loved ones come back and being completely flabbergasted, don't know what to do and how to deal with the situation. They don't know if it's real, if it's fake. They don't know how to, because these people, these people have been gone for a very long time. And, um, like it's not normal for people to come back to life. They keep on mentioning over and over. Only one guy's done it in the past. Um, and I think they're talking about Jesus Christ. Um, but like, uh, it's just an interesting story. For me, it's it's interesting because, you know, I'm part of what I like to call the Dead Dads Club, you know? And uh, it'd be very interesting if this same exact thing were to happen to me. I'd be really confused and concerned. Because now, like, these people have moved on. They've they've uh, learned to deal with the pain, learned to leave, live their lives post this tragedy. And they've some of them have finally gotten past it to where they can start dealing with their lives in a healthy manner again and now they feel like they're going crazy or they feel like they're relapsing from their depression or they just don't know how to how to deal with it mentally of what's going on others are in different aspects of life remarried or with new people and it's just a really interesting idea that these people don't understand anything the only thing that's, that's commonplace about all these people is they can't sleep and they're very hungry that's the only two things that's common like across me. all these people yeah, yeah. they definitely like me so um it's interesting Might they be zombies justin maybe. maybe um i liked it um i want to finish it seems like there's only two seasons does I it believe that's correct does it finish completely or is it i like, haven't actually watched it? season two i only watched season one we never went back and watched season two i'm just it's, terrified it was a to really out... long time between when season one on netflix and season two on netflix came out and so we just it's it's on our list to watch it's just I i'm just terrified it. to find out if the reason why they came back is terrible or not that's all it is. Yeah. I just yeah. want it to be good. Like, I know that the end of the season gets really weird, uh, but in a good way. 
Like, I know that, um, what's that one with Justin Thoreau on uh, HBO? Leftovers. Leftovers. I know, like, that oh, that show. whole thing was good. Like, the way they mm. handled it was good. But I'm really scared that this is not going to be good. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't finished Leftovers. It was a factory of sadness for a while, and I couldn't take it. So I'm, I, But I did hear it gets better, sure. so I'm going to have to watch it. But well, um, it started great and continued to be great. Yeah, and ended great. Like okay, it's like so one of my favorite shows of all time. I'm gonna so. have to finish it. I have to add that to my list. My yeah. list of things to do. But uh, I liked it. I want to finish it. Um, but I'm just terrified that the reasoning is stupid, and mm -hmm. <laughs> so the only thing I'm really scared of for the show, like, is acted well. The cinematography is good. Um, I'm really curious what this little boy is and like what his story is. I think it's interesting that a serial killer comes back to life. Like out of all the people, holy moly. Right. I like how some you find out in the end of the second episode that they're linked in certain yeah. ways, yeah. so it's really interesting. So like, I I thought it was good. So I'm ready for your questions. I already got one. Okay, Where'd you got you go? one. I think you're gonna do pretty well. Um, so what causes the specifically as specifically as you can, what causes the bus to crash? Uh, am I allowed to say this on our PG podcast? Uh. What? Because uh, I mean, the, you, I mean, you could say it without like. Okay. Don't use like profanity. Or so the teen, the girl, the her name was Camille. Camille's twin sister Lena stayed at home and was having relations with somebody. Right. Um, Camille's like heartthrob, like crush or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I guess Camille was having some type of twin thing where she was mm -hmm. experiencing it too, mm -hmm. and she started freaking out and wanted to leave the bus. And then she basically distracted the bus driver. The bus driver did not see the little boy in the, in the highway, avoids the boy, and goes off the edge of the cliff. That's what happened. That is an excellent job. You, you basically covered two questions because the other one was, was uh, why wasn't Lena on the bus? She was faking. Uh, you, you, she was faking you got sick. almost every single bit. There was, only, there was one little piece of information I wanted more, was, which was the boy's name. Which was Victor. So I'm gonna yeah, give you yeah. like that's not his name uh, though. This is the name that the lady gave him. But that's the big yeah. It's the name that 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 that's all that matters. That's how they refer to him. So you got almost everything there. So okay, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, tiny little tiny little mark off. Other than that, like excellent job. Very proud of you. Oh, okay. okay. I enjoyed the uh, show. I think you can tell. Yeah. Two more questions for you. Uh, number four. What's the name of the diner where Simon beat the crap out of that one dude? It was the American Diner. That is correct. Wow. Because it was so American. I was like, I is this what They're French people really think faster. of us? Yeah. Well, I mean, we think, you know, French people. It's all like, baguettes and like croissants. Like Pepe Le Pew and stuff. So I don't <laughs> Everyone <laughs> I don't wears know. a beret and a striped shirt. It's a two-way street, perhaps. Yeah, I guess. Uh, okay. And then final question. Killing it. Uh, this, one's, this one's actually very difficult. Uh, it's the hardest question all of right. all of these. Yeah. If, if you can. I would like you to explain to me how this combination of characteristics makes Jerome, the father, a sexy man. Okay. Uh, his excessive smoking habit. Okay. Uh, he's balding, and the hair that he does have left is completely crazy and terrible and wild. He's got bozo and, hair. Mm -hmm, and he also wears a turtleneck. Ooh. So yeah. how exactly does that make him somebody that anybody would want to have sex with? Because uh, he's French, and it all passes in France. Oh my goodness, that is correct. Oh my gosh. I'm, a, I'm batting a thousand a day. There we go. I'm going to give you like a 97% on this. Like a 97. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. I'm I am so proud of you. Pulling up my GPA. 
you crushed it. Well, here's Normally the thing. you get like one question right, and like you've got like almost, like pretty much all of <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, usually right. I'm terrible. That's amazing. Here's the thing. First thing, it's it's subtitled, so you have to pay attention. Right, I know. Yeah. So like you're forced yeah, for sure. And yeah. secondly, I really enjoyed it, so like you paid attention. I paid attention. Some of the yeah. things I'm like, eh, okay, like the po- the podcast you gave me were good, but it's like first off, there's so much going on. And it is just audio. This I have to physically yeah. watch it and be engaged sure. in order to understand what's going on. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Anyways, I told you I'd do great. Excellent, great job, great All job. Right. All right, my turn. So, what'd you uh, watch? Well, Justin knows that I like. I'm not a. I hate superheroes. Like I've mentioned it before, but like the one superhero that really kind of gets a pass is uh, Batman. Uh, I do enjoy uh, a little Batman and watch Batman, the animated series all the time. When I was a young lad, uh, I've watched every Batman movie. Tim Burton movies were good. Uh, Nolan movies were great. So uh, I'm not like a a huge hardcore uh, Batman, like aficionado, but I certainly of all the superheroes I like. So Justin decided to assign me Batman, the killing joke, which he said was on HBO, but he just lies it like was. straight through his teeth. Like, I think they took it off like two weeks ago or something. And, I don't know. No, they took it off back in December. That's and, like two weeks uh, ago. Which is not two weeks ago. Uh, but I did find it. There's a couple of places you can rent it. I think I, I rented it off YouTube for like two ninety nine, So I got it, whatever. But you can find it up there. There's a couple other places you can find it as well, but that was the cheapest. Uh, so Batman, the killing joke is an animated quote movie, uh, which came out in 2016. It's directed, it's directed by Sam Liu and it's written by Brian Azzarello and Brian Bolland, who also has a writing credit. He was also was one of the writers of the comic with Alan Moore. Um, it's based off that comic. So, um, it has the voices that people tend to associate with Batman animation. So Kevin Conroy is playing Batman and Mark Hamill, uh, plays the joker he's it was his joker. return he hadn't done it in like i know I six know. years or something he he is uh in my opinion he is he is the best joker uh, i put i put him By first far. uh and then like a like a bunch of other people that don't ever actually yeah they do okay i mean i, I think ledgers was okay it was pretty good pretty solid pretty strong different uh i like uh nicholson's was fun but weird whenever uh, i read the comic book it's mark hamill's voice that's in my head yeah Oh, I totally, totally, totally. I love, I love his voice. Okay, so anyway, uh, so basically, the movie isn't really a movie. It's more like two episodes of Batman the Animated Series that are joined into one movie-length sitting, with like a gap in between them. And so, like, there's like one episode that takes about twenty minutes to thirty minutes, and that one focuses on Barbara Gordon's Batgirl, uh, who's voiced by Tara Strong, and how she's getting a little too obsessed with catching um, a young kind of demented gangster named Paris France, which is a sort of a jokey little name. Um, and she's been helping Batman for a little while now. Batman tries to to warn her not to get too close to this, that she's like floating near the abyss, whatever that nonsense abstract stuff is. Uh, she doesn't really listen and he keeps trying to get her not to like get involved. Like I'll handle it, I'll handle it, I'll handle it. But she gets to the point where she almost beats the crap out of him, and that's when she realizes. Also, she bangs Batman, uh, and eventually quits being Batgirl. That's, that's like, the big problem with this, by the way. I don't. It man, that bothered me so much. It because, is. Like, it Batman is the biggest issue with this thing because first off, hangs out with Commissioner Gordon all the time. It's just like she's she's supposed to be like his little sister or I, daughter, right? The ages were kind of yeah, they kind of creeped me out. So, like, yeah. people in the comic book industry when this movie came out, like, that's the biggest thing people had a hard time with because they hated that. They absolutely hated it because it's and always it was like been... fireworks, Justin. It was like yeah. fireworks. Well, it's always been her and, and Dick Grayson. It's never been 
her and Batman. Like that makes sense because they're the same age. And maybe I'm being ageist or whatever, but like it's really creepy when the guy who's kind of like your father figure or uncle figure and like you bang. It's really strange. And people had a huge yeah. problem with it. I can so. see why. Like it was like I was just like, you know, I'm not as as in tune with it all, but when it happened, I was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but I think the whole reason for it is they were trying to give more of an emotional value to the second part. Which they didn't have sure. to do that, I think. So the second part then is basically the killing joke at that point. And that's where Joker escapes from Arkham as per usual. Um, Batman is is kind of at this existential point where he's got this internal debate going on. He's just like, why can't I get through to the Joker? I don't want to kill him. I don't want to get to that point where it's either he kills me or I kill him. So he goes to visit the Joker at some point in Arkham. Uh, but Joker's not there. He let He leaves some other person there. Um, who's just like playing with you know solitaire with cars? By the way, this is a shot for shot of the comic. By the way, cool. This is like so, it almost like took the panels from the comic and used it as a storyboard for the for the. Well, that's easy. Uh, so the Joker uh, decides to attack the Gordon family uh, as a way to kind of teach a lesson, uh, and that includes going over to Barbara Gordon's apartment when it was supposed to be daddy daddy daughter night or something like that, and he shoots Barbara Gordon. Right there in the stomach into the spine, which eventually leads her at the end of the end of the episode and becoming Oracle. Um, and then Commissioner Gordon is abducted and he's psychologically tortured in the Joker's new hideout, which is wait for it, a carnival. Like whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Batman tracks him down. Uh, there's all sorts of different like carnival people. There's like the bearded lady, you know, etc. There's the strong man, so on, so on, so on. There's a bunch of them. Um, and uh, yeah, and he's just like he's just frustrated at one point they have you know they start fighting going back and forth eventually at the very end like joker joker's caught uh and he tells him a joke and about like two people trying to escape an uh, asylum and then they they both have a laugh and that's the end uh what do i think of it you forgot Um, the most important stuff of the movie what's the most important stuff like you get the joker's origin story i literally gave you what i thought was the most important stuff you get joker's origin story yeah, there's Joker's origin story. If you choose to believe it's Joker's origin story, he specifically says, like, at the end, like, he gives you some reason to potentially doubt that because it's like sometimes you remember the story differently or sometimes you tell it differently. So I thought the implication was there. It was kind of like the way that Christopher Nolan's Joker was just like, you want to know how I got these scars? And he told a different story every time. So, I mean, I think when you go insane and you, you can't trust your own memory anymore. So I don't know how much. So, but yeah, like, there is that, which is he was a down-on-his-luck comedian, who who got into it with like some gangsters and he was going to help them out when they were going to kind of steal some stuff from like a like a power plant or industry in the industrial setting his wife was pregnant and uh lo and behold when they're doing the job um just before they do the job he founds out that his wife gets into i think it was a car accident and dies and he's like all freaking out he's like i can't do the job anymore and they're like no you're gonna do it and so he's like, uh, okay. And so they make him do it, uh, and they make him look like he's the Red Hood, uh, but he's not obviously the Red Hood. And then Batman shows up, and he falls into, like, a big goo, uh, and then he f- comes out the end, and he's gone crazy at the end. So that's kind of how the Joker becomes Joker. So at least that's in that version. I'm sure there's a billion other ways, because that's the way comic book writers tend to do things. They're like, I didn't like the way this person wrote it, so I'm going to write it. It's pretty different. much the quintessential. No one's really messed with that, really, at okay. all. Mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. the, since the reboot, I think there's maybe a small change to it, but no one's. It's pretty much that's it. That's how it goes. 
So what did I think of it? It was fine. It was fun. It was interesting. Uh, I thought the whole Batgirl romance was just bizarre. Um, stuff with the Joker was great as per usual. It was fun. Uh, it's exciting. So yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a Batman, the animated, I love Batman, the animated series back in the day. It's uh, drawn so. by the same people too, but yeah. they just took, well, yeah. they took some of the inspiration from the comic, but it's mm -hmm. drawn by the animated series people. So it's just, it's like a mixture between the two. It's like, they pretty much brought back the band and did it all again. I really enjoyed uh, Reese, uh, which is uh, Barbara Gordon's uh, gay friend from the li her library uh, job, uh, who like was kind of talking to her. And uh, those are those fun. Um, and she yells at him at one point. Uh, I, I really like the description of her sex with Batman being, quote, uh, it was like fireworks going off, uh, which sounds like a terrifying oh thing. Um, but yeah. Uh, I like I said I ship Batman and Catwoman so like I get there's no Catwoman so I was upset. I'm either I'm either Batcat or I would also accept um him with uh Razagul's daughter Talia No, Ghul. Talia Ghul, no. I'll no, take that too. No. No. no uh, okay. Nope. I or some people are a part of the Batman Zatanna group uh but those people are crazy so it's no. okay. Batman Catwoman. No. That's that's what it is. So uh, most iconic cat one for me is always Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, God, I love Michelle Pfeiffer. Anyway, what are your damn questions? Let's get this over with. All right, so I, I got I don't four remember. for you. I watched you this on, like, Tuesday last week. You, you know, almost stumbled almost across a couple. So okay. first question you almost came across. So the okay. question is, how does Joker prefer to remember his past? He says a specific way. He, I, he, I, prefer, I prefer to remember my past as... What does he prefer uh, to remember it as? I, I don't remember. Uh, in sepia tone. I, I don't know. Cause that's what I mean. <laughs> he said in multiple choice. He wants to remember okay. his past in multiple choice. Right. Which, Which is why leads, I, like, I yeah. don't really believe like, like that's exactly how Yeah, that's, that's how they put doubt in yeah. the reader's mind or the viewer's mind that, did this happen? Is anything like, he's saying true? And I like that idea better. I like the way like that we don't actually know that we that we're never truly going to know exactly how joker was formed like i would prefer it to go that way i like the way that nolan kind of did it with his like bunch of different stories i like that because just so you know feeds the chaos nolan stole the, the the so dark knight is based off of this comic okay but instead of instead of gordon instead of gordon it's it's batman uh, i'm fans. not i'm not crediting nolan with creating batman he's just, uh, he's just uh, well jeff he didn't all right it yeah, wasn't him. It was two okay. guys that got it stolen from him. All right, Anyways, what's your next question? What does it take to become the Joker? One simple thing it takes to become the Joker. Um, hmm. I don't remember. One bad day. That's all it takes okay. to become the Joker. One bad cool. day. Okay. Yeah, I remember that now. It's right. been a week. I'm not going to remember. I'm probably I'm probably really poor. Like, we, do, we delayed our recording a couple days. <laughs> we got to like, wait till like maybe Saturday morning to do our, our things. That's how it sticks yeah. in our head. Or just, you know, record when we're sitting there. Record yeah, whatever. yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. it's my fault. Okay, uh, next question. <laughs> Why wouldn't the crook or the escapee walk over the beam of light in the joke? Why wouldn't he do it? Oh, because the other inmate would just turn the light up, turn the flashlight off. That's a good joke, right? I liked it a lot. It's all right. All right. So you got that one right. That's good. Last mm -hmm. question. This is the thing that people put up on this in this story a lot because okay. the way it's drawn, the way it's shot. I in just the movie. again, I want to point out, like you're you got to stop approaching these things as if I am a comic book aficionado. No, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's up I for your not. interpretation. It's up My for your interpretation. Inter totally different. Okay. Did Batman kill Joker at the end? No. Okay. All right. 
that, 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 there's, that's a, there's literally no evidence whatsoever. Uh, there's, there's, it's weird because there's a weird group of people out there that say that's where he killed the Joker. And no, that, there's no evidence, none. But that's projection. When people make those types of conclusions, I yeah, feel like yeah, they're yeah. just projecting. That's what they want. So you got a fifty percent. It's far okay. worse than what I was capable of doing. That's better than I thought I was going to do. Right. Not because I didn't watch it. I totally watched it and enjoyed it. But I watched it on Tuesday last week, and we are recording Monday afternoon, so it's been almost yeah. a week. And so it's just it is the mind. quintessential Joker story to me. It's the best one that's ever been told. Very um, enjoyable. Other than it, that, Barbara Gordon sex. It shows like the weird. Yeah, of course that's terrible. It shows like the weird, almost mirrored attitude of both him and Batman. Mm-hmm. Like they both had one bad day, right? But one of them went one direction, and one of them right. went the other direction. That's the kind of right. like, idea. and even the Joker's kind of like got upset about that at one point. Like, how are you not insane? Yeah. I'm like, dude, he, <laughs> why are you not he crazy? Goes around in a cape fighting crime. That yeah. guy is insane. Batman, he's, no, is he's insane. nuts. Batman's a yeah. nutso. Yeah, he beats exactly. up people in a cape like that's exactly he yeah. beats up people who have mental disabilities right mm-hmm. psychological True. disorders right he mm-hmm. beats them up in a cape he's, he's got My problems wife does that for a living uh, she's a psychologist she beats people up it's weird well she, she should be doing that therapist. i don't know what to call her whatever she's the boss that's all i know all right of her job but like right. if you ever get a chance and you want to like read the read the comic the comics very it's it's like the best there's like a few major staples it's the killing joke year oh, yeah. one year mm-hmm. one's like the quintessential batman origin story mm-hmm. and then yeah like dark knight that's just like super popular because of the time and like the right. social commentary in it sure. and there's a couple others but like those three are like the main if you like batman you gotta see these three things so i thought about having you read year one or watch the year one movie because there's a year right. one movie too um but I, thought the I want to was point out, though, I like Batman in the context of I don't like superheroes, but I like Batman. I just generally yeah, just yeah, yeah. don't like the way people approach developing superheroes because the, like, the way you describe the Spider-Man stuff is why I can't stand a lot of it. Because like, there's a thousand other <laughs> the iterations. Like a new person's writing it, and so they completely change it. And it's just like, no, nah, man, just like, just why don't you just write your own character? Like, just come up with a new, like, don't take somebody else's and just, I don't know. I just, it's just fundamental to me. So... I do want to get into reading more comics, obviously. Like that's one of the reasons we're doing the podcast. But I think I'm going to be oh, I got one for next week. on non-superhero stories because I'm just not interested. All right. So, all right, let's do uh, uh, new challenges. So, what do you got? You, you said you just had so I got you a, a movie that I kind of want to watch. I saw it a couple weeks ago on Netflix. I'm hoping you haven't watched it yet. Um, uh, okay. I don't know if you would have had time yet with all your Archie watching. Okay. Um, but it is called. I hope you're ready for this. Tremors, A Cold Day in Hell. It is on my list. I saw oh, it. Absolutely. Yes. It's on my to watch list. I have oh, not watched oh, it yet, man. but I will. I accept it. Yes, I accept that. Perfect. Excellent. I was like, oh, this, this goes back to the great movies. And I'm, I'm sure so it's going to be awful. I'm so sad that the Kevin Bacon Tremors TV show didn't make it to series. I was so sad. They were going to do it, and then they stopped, it. They stopped production on it like a sad. month or so ago. Yeah, it was really sad. So that's Tremors. Excellent. A Cold Day in Hell. Excellent. It's on, it's on my Netflix to watch list already. So I'll take that off the list this week. All right. For you, sir, we're continuing this trilogy. I would like you to watch Glitch, a Netflix television show. First two episodes, please. Glitch. Uh, and it's, okay. it's Australian, too. So it's, it's oh, Aussie. it's all, all Aussie. That's what it's all about. Yeah, it's, it's all yeah, Aussie. Okay. Drink a Foster's. Oh, this is so insulting what we're doing. Drink that's a Foster's. I can't. No, that's Boston. That wasn't 
that was in Boston. Yeah. I can't do Ozzy at all. I can. I can do Ozzy. I can. I can do Ozzy. I can do Ozzy. I can't do voices like like impromptu. I have to like be ready for them because I do a ton of voices for D and D, but like we're in Starfinder and whatnot. So okay, but anyway, glitch from Netflix. All right. Sounds good. All right, and on that note, it's time to start closing this uh, this little thing down. Um, let's hit the socials. So you can find us up on the old interwebs at lollygaggercode.com. Uh, we got all of our all of our episodes are posted up there. Uh, over the summer, probably going to start putting some other things up there. Maybe maybe build that that site a little bit more. It's pretty sparse, but it does have all our episodes. You can easily find. Um, you can also uh, interact with me mostly uh, up on uh, the old Twitter uh, at lollygaggerco. Uh, so it's l o l l y g a g g e r c o. Uh, so I've been posting up a few things here and there. Uh, Justin is a professional streamer, and now that it's summer, is back to streaming. And if you watched, if you excuse me, if you listened to the beginning of the episode, you know that he's got a streaming schedule. So Justin, where can they find you up on the old Twitch? I'm a uh, twitch.tv slash jehufa. It's J E H O O F A H. I'm usually going to be streaming from one to five. I didn't do it today because we had to do this, and it's, it's going to be Monday through Friday. Plus, I just had the longest weekend of my life, so I just wanted a day of doing absolutely nothing and napping. And so that's what I got done through a stormy rains. So, uh, but usually I'll be doing that. Uh, like, I'll be doing Doki Doki Wednesdays. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, <laughs> scary Thursdays. And my brother Jeremy wants me to do Shenmue Mondays. Um, <laughs> I don't want to do that at all. I love that idea. That's a fantastic idea. He keeps idea. pushing. I'm like, we playing Shenmue. I'm like, I'm never playing Shenmue. It's okay. Now so, I know what the next challenge trilogy is going to be. We've got to play all of Shenmue. I got this, Jeremy, man. No problem. I got <laughs> it. All right. All right. And with that note, it's time to say some thank yous to those people who made this this uh, this little show happen. You ready, Justin? Oh, yeah. All right. So to Benedict Cumberbatch, who hopped out of an Uber in London to chase away a bunch of muggers that were beating up a cyclist. Thank you for showing the world that you don't have to wear a cool cape or spandex to be a hero. But he does wear a cape. He wears the cape of Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't. Doctor Strange does. Okay, yeah, you're, you're ruining my moment. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I would like to thank Florida Heat because every single second that I spent outside of the graduation hall this weekend, I felt like I was on the, safe, uh, the face of the earth, or the face of the sun. It was melting into a puddle. It was a nightmare. I was going to say you are on the face. Yeah. Thank you so much, Florida Heat. You're the worst. Okay. To the people who wrote, directed, and starred in the movie on Netflix, no, no, on Amazon Prime, The Sand. It's a movie that took the old college joke activity, The Floor is Lava, and made it an absolutely terrible movie about a bunch of hungover kids getting eaten by the sand of a beach. Thank you so much. It was amazing. Finally, I want to thank Papa Probo with his beautiful online videos and Beat Saber beat tracks. Uh, recently, he uh, was talking about us on his uh, on his Twitter page and you know beating it up with the uh, with the old lightsabers. So uh, I want to thank him for the promotion and the help. So thank you so much. <laughs>